Warning, the following podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Every person thinks they would never succumb to the addictions that litter this world. None of us realize just how easy it is to fall into the trap of addiction. We assume it would never seduce us, never impact us, never kill us. But we'd be wrong, deadly wrong. The following are the true accounts of just a small percentage of people who struggle with addiction issues. We are honored to share their stories. Welcome. 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 Welcome to Addicted. Well, welcome back to another episode on this Addicted series. On this episode, I have somebody here who was not an addict himself, but definitely had addicts within his family. Stu, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate taking your time today. Hey, so why don't you go ahead and give me a little bit of family history and backstory on, you know, the relationship of the family members that you had that struggled with substance abuse? Sure. So I had pretty much both of my parents, even though their occurrences kind of went separate times in my life because my parents separated and got divorced when I was very little, like three years old or so. And uh, that was a lot in part to my dad's drug addiction issues, uh, whereupon he just pretty much vanished for several years of my life. He moved to Florida for a bit. I live up north. So he was down there for a while, getting into trouble, doing his thing down there. And I lived with my mom and my eventual stepdad. And for most of my childhood, My dad would kind of flit in and out whenever he moved back from Florida around the time I was 10 or so, but I pretty much had a relatively what I thought was normal childhood. Uh, It it would turn out that it wouldn't be as normal as I thought it was just, you know, as a little kid, you don't notice stuff so much. But then my mom ended up getting into an accident. She fell down the stairs and she got some kind of nerve disease in her foot from it. And she, you know, this was back in the early to mid nineties. And she was one of the very first people who they started prescribing Oxycontin to, which, you know, nowadays we all kind of know where that story's going to end up going. But so she got onto that. She got progressively worse through my teens to the point where my stepdad left her. And then after that, she kind of bottomed out. She started drinking heavily. She was very into the, uh, the prescriptions and really anything else she get her hands on. And ironically, that was around the time that my dad had come back into my life and decided he was going to be cleaned up. He was going, he was done with everything. He wanted to, you know, make amends for everything in his life. So right as I kind of pretty much lost her, I kind of gained him back. And then, you know, uh, in what, 2007, January, 2007, my mom ended up passing away from ODing. You know, at this point in my life, I'm an adult. I'm kind of out on my own doing my own thing. My dad would start going back in and out of, he'd be clean, he'd be not clean, things would happen. And then uh, eventually, a couple years ago at this point, he also passed away from it. So that's the, the Cliff's Notes versions of, of everything anyway. 
so what so we'll start with your mom since that was the the first part of your life uh so pretty much her drug her her substance of choices was oxycontin and alcohol yeah uh pretty much any kind of pain thing she could end up getting her hand on what ended up killing her was i guess she was found with like fentanyl patches on her and she was chewing up fentanyl patches so that is what eventually completely uh did it in for her but yeah she started drinking extremely heavily in my late teens and yeah oxycontin was at least the the impetus for everything else she got into that's what i know she was on anyway at what age did you figure out that she had some kind of substance abuse problem? Uh, probably around 19. I, I was about 18, maybe the very end of being 17, when she and my stepdad separated. And I foolishly just blamed everything on my stepdad. Like, he just bailed. He just left one night. And I didn't really know that things were getting as bad as they were from his point of view. Like, I didn't know everything was going on. And I was very wrong <laughs> in hindsight. Like, I totally chose the wrong horse in that race in their separation. Uh, I wish I had known. And he was a great guy. I, I think, like, if he had it to do over again, he would have been more open with with me but i just think like when i was 16 17 he just thought maybe it was too much for me or something and he was trying to shield me from it but it got too much for him and he just had to bail and when he left she started drinking too and that's what made everything just so much more amplified she just became uh, a completely different person she went from being a person i had a really good relationship growing up with to she became wildly abusive like emotionally mentally she would try to attack me but of course like I mean, I was 19, 20 years old. Like, she couldn't really hurt me. But, I mean, she would try. She stole thousands of dollars from me. She got credit cards in my name that I didn't even know about until five or six years later, whenever collections agencies were hunting me down, I didn't even know about, uh, she just went off the rails. And finally the, the, the moment where I basically separated myself from her was she got loaded one day. And one of the many, many guys she was hanging out with at the time, they got on a motorcycle together and she got in a super serious accident. Like she, she broke her pelvis in half, which I can't even imagine. So she was in a nursing home for a while. And the, the terrible thing about her, her entire life was even, even at this point in her life, she was an amazingly charismatic and personable person. And when she was in the nursing home, she befriended one of her nurses there. And whenever my mom was getting ready to be discharged and had nowhere to go, the nurse was like, oh, come stay with us. And it's like, oh, man, lady, you're making real bad choices. And then uh, she ended up finding that out pretty quickly and kicking my mom out. And she bounced around from places for a while. And, you know, eventually that was the, the end of that for her. Did you ever try to help her get clean or, or was it something you guys didn't really talk about? Uh, once or twice, like around the time I was 20, I want to say the guy she was dating, who was a good enough guy at the time. She was with him for a couple years. He and I like tried to do intervention things. Like we tried to sit her down and be like, this is what's going on with you. And we're not going to stand for that. And she, she would kind of half-heartedly like promise to kind of do things, but she was also very defensive in that added kind of mentality of like, why are you attacking me? 
But again, like she just had this charisma about her and maybe you just wanted to think the best of her. So we kind of would keep giving her second, third, fourth, 15th chances and it, it never got any better. I mean, she ended up like this guy and her. I mean, they had a relationship where like she would just destroy shit in his house because she would get loaded and, and just not be herself. But then sometimes she could be sweet. But, you know, those those times got much fewer and further between as everything progressed through my 20s. With the interventions not being able to work, when you when you finally cut her off, did she continue to try to have a relationship with you? Yeah, I think one of my, uh, you know, sarcastic to say one of my favorite memories is I was at work one day and she's just calling me on my phone, calling me on my phone. And this is when I wasn't talking to her. This is when she was kind of bouncing around places. And she was calling me just to let me know that she had been staying in a hotel and she tried to hang herself, but they caught her. And so she wasn't successful. And I was just like, why are you telling me this? There's there's no reason for you to be telling me this. I mean, I wasn't talking to her like maybe once every two or three months if she would call me, we would have a somewhat cold but cordial conversation. And like I said, she just calls me out of the blue to tell me that she had tried to kill herself. And it's why? What's the point of that? You're just being manipulative. Right. At that point, had you pretty much just numbed yourself to her to her kind of her her outbursts like that? Yeah, I, I was completely done with her. That was obviously well past her accident, which was just the complete breaking point for me after years of abuse and everything. I I just I, it's it's sad to say, but I just didn't care anymore. And I tell people this story where the night that I found out she died. I'm just sitting at home. I'm actually watching Batman Begins. I just remember that. I'm watching Batman Begins on TV. There's a knock on my door. It's two cops. Nobody wants cops to come to their house. But, you know, they come in. They're very soft-spoken. They say, oh, why don't you sit down? And I have no idea what they're there for. So I sit down and they tell me, like, oh, you know, your, your mom was found dead. And in my head, the actual exact thought I had was, what is the level of sadness or care I should be pretending to have right now for these officers. Because to me, it was nothing. I mean, it, to me, it was telling me somebody I never met had passed away. Like I had no emotional attachment to what, to it whatsoever, except for maybe happiness relief, I guess. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, I'm going to seem like a sociopath. If I just act like I don't care around these two officers that are here giving me this news, but I just couldn't bring myself to, to care. I mean, I knew what the path she was on was going to be. Have you since reflected on that and felt differently? Or is it pretty much no, the most same emotion? It's one of those got? weird things I've had, like, grandparents will tell me and whether they're concerned about me or not. They're like, oh, well, it's it's really affecting you. And, and deep down, like, you're going to feel it one day. And I've never felt sadness. I've never felt anything but relief that she's gone. And it's one of those things that I'm sure it's a trauma response of somehow to this day in my life, my most frequent dream I have is just that she's still alive. And it's not like anything terrible is happening. It's just that she's still alive and I'm living with her. And there's just this overall sense of dread where it's like, I don't want this to be like nothing terrible is happening in my dreams. It's just like, Oh yeah, she's bad. I don't want this, but I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I don't feel sad that she's gone. I don't, I, I've never, 
thought like, oh, you know, I missed on something. I never thought she was going to turn it around. So I had just given up on the person that I knew through my childhood being uh, available ever again. And you know what? Everybody copes with things differently. And and so I give it to you to be able to, you know, obviously you had already resounded yourself to the fact that, you know, that where she was going and where she was heading. And, you know, just sometimes we all deal with it differently. So, so now let's go back again and we're going to go to your dad now this time. So what was his backstory? Was there an accident involved or was it something he had substance abuse problems from when you could remember? Yeah, he, uh, here's the weird thing about my life. I remember being two, three years old when my mom and dad were still together and I had no idea what I was seeing, but I would see their friends come over and I would just at two or three years old, I would see people doing Coke. I would see people smoking pot and just you're two or three. You don't know what that is. But years later, you would reflect on like, I remember seeing like, you know, the little razor blade and the lines and the dollar bill rolled up and it's it didn't strike me as abnormal. It's just like, oh, that's what old people do when you're two years old. And like I said, he just left. So he and my mom separated and he just vanished. And for as much not nice things as I have to say about my mom, and this is incredibly selfish, I guess, when I think about what I'm about to say is I always had more sympathy for my dad because he never actively screwed anybody over at his worst. And he wasn't into pain medication. Like he was full on. He did heroin, stuff like that. Like he was into heavy, bad stuff, but he never stole from anybody. He could have stolen from me. He could have stolen from his mother, my grandmother. And he just didn't. Uh, he would borrow money. He would call us and say like, hey, you know, can I borrow some money for this, that, or the other thing, just making up lies. And I know he, you know, borrowed a bunch of money from my grandmother and wasn't able to pay it back. And she got very disenchanted with him and basically cut him out his last few years. But like, he never negatively impacted me as much as my mom did. He just, the worst thing that would happen is whenever he got bad and started using again, he would just vanish and I wouldn't hear from him for a while. And then, like I said, he came back in my 20s right as my mom was getting really bad. And he was kind of there to support me through her and told me a lot about like, look, I know this is what she's going through. This is what she needs. And unless she wants help like I wanted help, she's never going to get any better. So, I mean, it was it was really great having him there as, a, a, you know, somebody to tell me what's going on. But even then, when he started using again in my late 20s and 30s, like, he had a key to my house. Like, he could have robbed me. He could have done anything, and he just didn't. I don't know what it was where, like, he had a line that he was never going to cross. And my mom, like, for my mom, there was no line. It was all it was all about whatever she could do to to get herself what she needed. My dad was just like, look, I'm going to fuck myself up, but at least I'm not going to fuck up anybody else. So you said he was using heroin. Was there any other substances that you were aware of that he, that he was using? That I'm aware of? No. Like I said, obviously in the 80s and 90s when I was a little kid, I know he was doing coke. But from what I understand, that was really popular in the 80s. Um, I don't know of anything else. I know heroin was a, a big thing for him. Um he would have the track marks and stuff that whenever he was using, I don't know if there was anything else. Like, I don't know if he ever did like meth or, or, or crack or anything like that. But I mean, heroin, I definitively know. Yeah. Like, and he would get to points like later in his life, like where he would be selling and everything like that. Would he ever, did you guys ever talk about it? Like when he was clean? Oh yeah. No, he was a super open book about it. And one time he was using, and I think 
Well, he he had been using and he got put away. He got arrested and he was in jail for a few months. And he wrote me a letter again, like, just like, hey, this is what's going on. I'm really sorry. I, I failed you again. And he got out. And I remember him saying, like, hey, I just need a place to stay tonight. So God bless my wife is a infinitely forgiving and compassionate person. And I talked to her and I was like, look, let's just see what we can do. We'll take him in for tonight and be like, we're going to have to find you a place. You can't stay here. So we got him. We picked him up that night. We brought him to our house and we were like, look, you used to live in this other town in our neighboring county. And when you lived there, you had an NA group. You were supported. You did really well there. It was basically a couple years after you left that area that you didn't have those support systems in place that you started getting worse. And so we got him back into that area. We got him into a shelter. We got him back going to NA every, what, two or three times a week. And he, again, did better for several, several years until right at the end of his life. But yeah, and I mean, he was an open book. He would say exactly what was going on. He never hit anything. He just would say like, yeah, I, I fucked up and this is what it's like and don't ever do it. But I mean, it, it's so odd. And like I said, I feel like such a hypocrite because I have nothing good to say about my mom's experience because she, it's odd to say like, here's one addict who was wildly selfish and only cared and thought about herself. And there was this other addict who had all these problems, but completely owned his problems. And like I said before, there was a line that at least he wouldn't cross. You said near the end of his life, did he end up passing away from an overdose as well? He did. I, I, the sad thing is I don't know the certainties of anything. I I just know they found him. The hospital called me one night. It was, I forget what year, but it was a few days before Halloween. We were getting ready for our Halloween party. The hospital called me and was like, Hey, come down here, you know? And my wife was like, Oh, I think he's dead and they need you to just, they're just going to tell you and identify and everything. He had been going through a really rough stretch. He had a cat. He adopted a cat while he was living in that other county that he loved. And his cat passed away and he was getting evicted. And I think he just kind of at least momentarily collapsed. Like, I don't genuinely think he had been using for long. I just think he kind of collapsed and started using and, and OD'd. And yeah, I went down to the hospital and he... uh he was gone. And they brought me back to see the body. And I never thought anything would really, I'm not sure that like, aside from being at a funeral where everybody's all dressed up and they're in the casket and it's, it's a thing, like it's a viewing. I don't know that I've ever just seen a dead body and they took me back to see his body. And just, I, I, I mean, for like a, a second, I saw him and I just turned and was like, nope, 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 can't, can't do that. Nope. Did that have a profound effect on you since you had started to have a relationship with him again? It was sadder, but again, like, it's the kind of thing where I just, I knew what path they were on, and I had a relationship with him, so at least there wasn't any resentment or anything. I understood, and I was sad about it, but... I Like, I'm not gonna lie, I don't know that I cried or anything. It was just kind of like, it was, I don't know if it's because of residual feelings of like, I know what it's like because of whenever my mom passed away, but it was just like, yeah, okay, this is not unexpected. It's unfortunate that he couldn't maintain the trajectory he tried to get himself on, but 
you know, this is this is what people in this situation, this is what happens to them. What kind of support system did you have through both passings, through your mom and your dad passing away from drugs and alcohol? Uh, so, uh, oddly, whenever my mom passed, I had my uh, dad. Uh, that was you know, whenever that happened and I had my uh, stepdad and his family, they had moved away, but they still cared about me very much. And they were there for me and talked to me about it. Uh, when my dad passed away, I had his whole family, uh, his mom, his brother, my cousins, they were all there. We, we had a burial for him and, and went out and talked about him and my wife, obviously my wife is just a, a stellar person. I'm uh, blessed every day to have her. So she was obviously there for me. And it's, I, I, I was seeing a therapist for a while. I think, was I seeing the therapist before my dad passed? I want to say yes. And then I had stopped seeing her for a while. And then I started seeing her again. But even then it's like, I don't know that I ever really needed much of a support system. I wasn't a little kid when either of these passings happened. I was in my mid twenties when my mom passed, I was in my mid thirties when my dad passed. I, it's not like I was dependent on them and it's not like I didn't understand. I don't think I, I needed much more than what I had. Like, especially when my mom passed, I had my dad there to be like, yeah, this is what it is. Like, this is what the lifestyle is. I've seen this dozens of times. And then when it happened to her and then it happened to him 10 years later, I, I had already been on that boat. So I knew what the trip was. Do you think that maybe that, that callus came from just watching your mom spiral out of control? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Just those, the last several years of her life from the, you know, my early college years, whenever I still lived with her to whenever I moved out, like she had done a lot to me. So I, I just built that up where, yeah, that's what it was. Do you have any advice for people who are maybe going through the same kind of situation as that you went through? Yeah. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's positive advice, but it's like, I've learned that when you have that kind of, I don't know, negativity or that kind of detrimental impact to your life, you can't be afraid to cut people out of your life. Like people can negatively affect you. People can hurt you just by being in your life. And just because they're family, just because of memories you used to have for your own sake, for your own mental health, you have to extricate yourself from their lives and let them figure it out because they're never going to get better unless they want to. And my mom never wanted to. And my dad did want to, but would occasionally fail at it. And no matter what I did, no matter how much money I gave my mom, no matter how much I tried to support her and love her, she was never going to get better. She was never going to abandon the lifestyle that she had fallen into with drugs and alcohol. And when I separated myself from her, it was just better. And that's sad to say, like, you shouldn't have to do that from a family member, but it was the best thing that I ever could have done. So I, you just have to understand you can't fix them. You can tell them, you can talk to them, but they have to choose the path. And you're just going to further hurt yourself if you put their problems on yourself. It's not your fault. You didn't do it to them. You can't fix it for them. Just hope that they can figure it out. Do you have any siblings that this has affected? I don't. I've always been an only child, so it's always been just me. And then what about like when your dad passed? Did you kind of had that same, like, I couldn't fix him, but it, it just, it is what it is? 
Yeah, uh, I felt bad for him because, like I said, I think what happened to him is he was going through a very particularly bad time. And so there was maybe some regret there, like, could I have done anything? But once again, it's, you know, no, he built the life for himself. He put himself into that situation where he was getting evicted because he couldn't work. He was about 60. He was in a rough shape because he led a rough life. Uh, He couldn't work. He didn't get a ton on Social Security because even a lot of the jobs that he had in his life were under the table kind of construction-y jobs. I mean, that was his life. There wasn't really anything I could have done. I couldn't have brought him into my house and said, live here. We'll take care of you forever because... You know, we weren't ever prepared to do that. So a little bit of regret, but I mean, like I just said, I understand that I couldn't have fixed it and it was going to be what it was going to be. Now, I know you weren't the addict, but if, but like you said, you had brought up a little bit of regret. Do you regret anything like that with your mom doing anything different or that is like, you're like, you tried everything and then that was it? Yeah, I I regret giving my mom as many chances as I did. If in hindsight I would have left her much earlier than I did, I wouldn't have let her get away with as much as she did. I that's my only regret there. Like again, she made all of her choices. She was the one and I feel bad because like I said, she was in the oxycontin thing. So how much of her choices were kind of something that society didn't know about that they were like, oh, this will help you, and then it ruined her life. But she was a t- she was a terrible person under the influence. So my regret with her is just not having left earlier. What are your feelings on seeing the Sackler family and the opioid crisis and the way that everything's coming out now? Are you kind of more sympathetic towards her? No, um, no, because like I said, there was a difference in how she handled her addiction versus how my dad handled his addiction. So I know. Even when you're at your worst, I know there is some level of control you have to be able to exert. And she demonstrated no desire to do such a thing. I feel sympathy in that, yes, she was given this medication that we all as a a world were deceived about, but I wish it hadn't happened to her. But again, like, man, she... She very much made her choices, and it's one of those things like I didn't realize it so much being a kid, but you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go visit our friends here and borrow some pills off of them. Or, oh, hey, I need you to go to these three different pharmacies today and fill these prescriptions for me today. Like, I feel like you have to know inside of you that that's not normal, and you have to be able to say, like, hey, I don't want this to be the case. So, yeah, like, I, I get the argument about oxy and and opioids and everything like i 100% get it that we as a people were lied to and an epidemic was created but i had to live on the other end of it so did did she ever enlist you to do those kind of activities or was that just something you had to tag along for Oh yeah, no, she sent me to pharmacies for her. Like, it wasn't even like she would go with me. She would have me drive, like, over here, there, and everywhere to go to pharmacies to get her prescriptions filled for her. Wow. Yeah, that's, so I've been starting to do a lot of the research, you know, researching on opioids and, and, and the Oxycontin and, and this epidemic of, of pain medication that they've created. And, and it is crazy the amount of pharmacies that were complicit in this that would just, fill all these prescriptions and it's it's sad because you know you get kids who are involved in these stories where you know they're going out there and they're doing this kind of thing man it's it's sad it just it's 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 heartbreaking for sure yeah 
Yeah, it was, I definitely remember she had a pharmacy up here. She had pharmacies down where she lived at least two or three. I mean, she was going to so many different pharmacies and so many different doctors. And, you know, like I was a teenager. I didn't think much about it. I just had my license and she sent me out to do things for her. Like I never thought about like, how aren't these places communicating that this is all the same thing? All these doctors are giving her the same thing. Like how do the, how is there no communication here? Do you have any final words that you want to say on this? No, like I said, it's just uh, if this is happening to you like it happened to me, like if you have people in your life that this is happening to, it's not your fault, man. And and when I was with my mom, like through my late teens, my very early 20s, like I don't know that I ever thought, boy, this is my fault. But I really thought like, boy, if she loved me, why isn't she or why is she acting like this? And that's not how I should have felt because it wasn't my fault. It wasn't about me. That's what you need to remember is it's just it's not about you. It's all about their problems. And and therapy's good. <laughs> There's there's groups like Al-Anon and everything. That's pro- I've never been into such a group, but I imagine that's very helpful for people. So would you like to plug your podcast before I let you go? <laughs> sure. If you'd like to hear about something that isn't me talking about these kind of issues, uh, check out the Stew World Order podcast. I review random comic book movies with my guests, and I have a website, swoproductions.com, where we have pop culture articles every day. Uh, a lot more serious, or a lot less serious than our discussion today, but it's out there if you want to check it out. We try to have a good time there. Well, Stu, thanks for coming on. I, I'm I'm thankful that you made it through the situation. I understand what it's like to have, you know, many addicts in your life, but I'm glad that you, you've come to a place where you've realized a lot of people struggle with that realization that there's nothing you can do to help them. And they spend their whole lives trying to help them just to, to not get anywhere. It's like running in place, you know, so definitely happy for you that you've come to a place that you're just like, Hey, you know what? It is what it was. And, uh, you're not letting it be, you know, beat yourself up about it. So, but again, thanks for coming on. And definitely go check out Stu's World Order. And uh, that way you can have a little less serious conversation, right? Yes, we try anyway. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We leave you now with this episode of Addicted. Just remember that there are many people out there struggling with addiction issues. And for every one person who finds sobriety, there are millions out there who haven't overcome this demon known as addiction. Thank you for listening to Addicted.